Ladies and gentlemen, now it's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. I should go. She's probably put yelling into the microphone. Because I see OBS cry. You know. <laughs> I can't even imagine what you guys hear. <laughs> All right, uh, guys, welcome back for another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined, as always, by the number one producer in late night. That's right, it's Dave Wilimowski. Dave, how are you doing? Oh, um, good. Yeah, working a lot, which is good. Yeah? How are you doing? You, you say that every week, but it's like, who are you trying to convince here? You know, I marry mostly. So oh, actually, okay. That cuts me a little slack. Listen to this. I, I forgot to mention this earlier. Today is my dad's birthday. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> how, how? So how old is he today? Oh, my God. So old. Oh, yeah. Like really old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, hey, dad. Uh, but <laughs> we got a great show tonight. Got a great guest. So we better we better get right on. Oh, yeah, right on this whole monologue thing. What do you think? Yeah. I, I love just rolling with it, man. <laughs> you know what I love? All right, we're, we're going to take a quick break from the monologue. You know what I genuinely love is every single time I address you directly, you uh -huh. you glance over at the notes, you see that it's not in there, and then there's oh, just yeah. panic. Terrified. Yeah, <laughs> just, just panic. All right. Um, kicking off tonight's stories are the Maui fires. Oh, my God. I don't know if you've seen those. Uh, it looks like it got the Bass Pro Shop back there. That's weird. Uh, oh, the no. terrible wildfires have swept through communities in Hawaii, causing millions of damage, millions of dollars of damage, uh, on top of a death count that's now over 100. Uh, oh. Activists claims uh, that this indicates uh, that more money and government regulations are needed because, of course, of course, the culprit for the fires is climate change. Uh, do we do we have a picture of climate change? There he is. Wait, yeah. Be on the lookout. For climate change. There he found is. Him. Yep. I wonder what color he is. Uh, but also pouring salt in the wound, President Joe Biden sparked outrage when his answer to the carnage was simply no comment. Can you believe that? Really? No comment. What do you think about all the deaths in Hawaii? No comment. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, the enraged citizens don't understand one very important thing. And that's the fact that the whole no comment thing was actually the edited statement for the president uh the unedited version of the president's response was why is worth what four electoral college votes not worth the flight besides oh. why is deep blue those morons will vote for me anyway oh yeah wow yeah yeah i mean where's the, the light though? And everything. Yeah. yeah yeah i know <laughs> um also making headlines tonight is former president donald trump Ooh, more hot water for donald Ooh. trump do we do we no. have a picture of donald trump oh yeah i got a good one my goodness farming that is he looks robust yeah yeah he looks like a good farm yeah uh he, he trump's legal troubles just keep getting worse uh, as he now faces his fourth indictment listen to this related to the election interference in the 2020 presidential race he now faces a total of 91 charges in four different jurisdictions before <laughs> President Trump wasted no time responding to the charges, firing back from his truth social platform, he said, quote, 
Uh, I don't know what that is, Dave. Yeah, large, complex, <laughs> detailed, but irrefutable report on the presidential election fraud, which took place in Georgia, is almost complete and will be presented by me at a major news conference at 11 a.m. on Monday of next week in Bedminster, New Jersey. Based on the results of this conclusive report, all charges should be dropped against me and others. There will be a complete exoneration. They never went after those that rigged the election. They only went after those that fought to find the riggers. Riggers. <laughs> Riggers. <laughs> Those goddamn riggers, you know what I'm saying? Always ruining everything. Okay. Don't you just hate it when the riggers show up, Dave? Got any riggers at where you, where you work or live? I, don't, I mean, I don't want anybody rigging anything. I mean, unless it's like... Yeah. Like, Man, you, as soon as you see the riggers come into your community, just... <laughs> I tell you what, the property prices just plummet. Bunch of flight. It's it's crazy. It just it just transforms. It's not the same, you know. I hate lazy riggers. Okay. I love our I love our chat. Uh, yeah. And finally, this evening, California Governor Gavin Newsom is back in the news. Do we do we have a picture of Gavin Newsom? Oh yeah, let me get that. Oh, oh my, that is that looks natural. Very natural. It's the eyes. That's what gets you. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. Uh, Newsom announced on Twitter this week that California has officially introduced a new U.S. constitutional amendment aimed at ending gun violence. Let me read you some of the pieces of the right to safety amendment. will enshrine four gun safety freedoms. First, raising the age to purchase a gun to 21. Second is universal background checks. The third a waiting period for gun purchases, and of course, finally, number four, banning civilian purchases of assault weapons. Oh, assault weapons. Wait, can you pull that back up just really quick? Yeah. It's the same picture. It's the it same is. picture. It, it is, is, right? Okay, all right, just making sure. He hid the straps better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, with such a boldly anti-Second Amendment stance, it didn't take long for gun rights advocates to fire back. Here, take a look. Oh no. Oh. Get down, Mr. Governor! Wow. Well. I mean, what can you do, you know? I guess. F A F O. That's all you, that's all you can say. Send a letter. That's a, Yeah, that's the kind of strongly worded email that the Republicans always <laughs> fail to deliver on. Uh, got a great show for you tonight. Uh, Kyle Anzalone from Conflicts of Interest, uh, Libertarian Institute, Antiwar.com. He's going to be with us later this evening. But before we get to that, we got the meme of the week in the viewer mail right after this commercial break. Don't go away.
Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, you know what I don't have, Dave? What's that? I don't have a fortune cookie. Oh, did you not get Chinese this week? I didn't, and now we're never we're never gonna know what could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it's for the best. <clears throat> yeah, it is because it's it's one of those like I was always told that if like you know if you if you say your wish out loud, then it won't come true. And it's like, well, <laughs> I open these damn cookies and just read them to people every single it's one week. of everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's rigged, I swear. Goddamn riggers. Um, hey, Dave. Yes, Alan. I, I told I told you the hard R was going to be in the monologue. Hey, what time is it? It's time for meme of the week. No, oh, speak of the devil. Uh, slavery oh. is big gay, <laughs> penny nigga. That I'm a historian. That's legit. You're allowed to say that too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Story. I mean, of course. I I tell you what. I actually made a delivery to an older black lady, and she said, "Thank you, baby." So oh. I'm in. That's it. Yeah. You're in. Yeah. Yeah. My day made. Boom. There it is. And that we does talk, feel good. We talked about all the rigas coming in, uh, but we do have a bonus meme, an animated bonus meme. Check out oh, the bonus no. meme. Go ahead, go ahead and play that one more time, just in case people missed it. That speaks to me, you know? Like, that's me. That's me in... Your, your little inner voice? That's me in the clip, yeah, driving towards the bridge with that... Today. Today, not, not tomorrow. No. Today. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Let's uh let's go ahead and answer some viewer mail. Today. Today. Uh Ryan Seifert writes, Dear Alan and Dave, um, I would never hit a woman, but fill in the blank. Uh, I, uh, I would never hit a woman, mm -hmm. um, but you got, you got one. Oh, um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll restrain a woman if she tries to hit me until the authorities come. Oh, so you would just call the cops, huh? No, I assume somebody else, if somebody sees me like pinning down a woman the cops are going to come but no no she called the cops because she <laughs> baited you into the engagement oh, and now the now cops are going to shoot show up and they're going to shoot the fuck out of you you're dead you're I, dead I'm, no i'm yeah. white I'll, i might get tased i don't know all right uh i would never hit a woman but it doesn't mean they don't deserve it mm, yeah but you know we don't always get what we deserve maybe it's a good thing you oh, know, it is. You know what I'm saying? We, uh, yeah. 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 Please. Especially, no. especially women. Uh, women. <laughs> <laughs> like hoes with no toes. Uh, <laughs> Gary Dyster writes, Dear Alan and Dave, can you name an activity by yourself or others that transpired back in your school days that if it happened today would result in suspension or expulsion? 
Do you notice that there's a, a trend with our viewer mail where people try to get us to incriminate ourselves? Yeah, I feel like it. Like I, I, I had a thought pop in my head, and I'm like, nope, can't say that on the internet. Yeah, that's a, that's more after party <laughs> kind of stuff, Gary. I, I feel like that is. I tell you what, Dave, if you think of a good one, I'll think of a good one, and we'll wait. We'll wait for the after party. Yeah. That's a subscriber yeah. special, right there. Yeah. Um, let's see. Lyle Durio writes, "Dear Alan and Dave." What's the best cheap entertainment? Probably the show. What do you think? Oh yeah, this is this is up there. Yeah, this I'll is. Also, take them to a playground or something. Go <laughs> take take someplace. take them. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, the, the, the audience will go swing. Oh, okay. On the swings. Yeah, not creepy at all, Dave. First thing comes out of his mouth. Yeah, then just take him to the playground. Yeah, we'll swing. Yeah. All right. Um. Andrew Avery writes, Dear Alan and Dave, if you Googled lighter, would it show you too many matches? Wait, what? Oh! Like like cigarette lighter in Yeah, and matches. Too that's, many that's what threw me off. Like, matches. why would it show you matches? Yeah. I feel like I feel like Andy's just kind of checked out. Yeah, he's calling it in now. Yeah. Yeah, it's not even he him. Has He's got an this intern. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Celeste Anis writes, Dear Alan and Dave, if you could eat pizza with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, what toppings would you order? I, I mean, I guess I would just order what I like because they'll yeah, fucking that's, eat that's anything. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Unless it has, like, mold on it. So pepperoni and mushrooms. What about you? Oh, I like... What I realized is I, I thought that I didn't like pizza for a while, and then I realized I'm just not allowed to get the pizza I like anymore because I have kids. Because oh. I like everything. I want like pepperoni, sausage, mushrooms, onions, peppers, mm -hmm. beef, whatever else they can put on there besides, like, the fish. Yeah, yeah. everything. Yeah. You – I tell you what. You should save all these moments so that they know how much you resent them when they get a little older. No, I, I tell them every day because you, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Yeah, but they're kids. They don't, they can't. <laughs> oh, they don't get it. They think I'm joking. I yeah, like yeah. wait until they're old enough to really start developing their mm -hmm. own like emotional scars and then just. Yeah. 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 All, all at once. Like your whole list of grievances. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, yeah, a montage. <laughs> all right. Uh, Brian Johnson writes, Dear Alan and Dave. Why is Miracle Whip so disgusting? Ooh. Ooh. Now, now I know. Now you're the mayonnaise expert. So I'm what's the what's the story on Miracle Whip? Now I don't I don't think that Miracle Whip is disgusting. It has its its place where it can be used, but mayonnaise for most applications is superior. Like you can put like Miracle Whip in like a like a some kind of potato salad or something like that if you want a little zing to it. But if you're doing a ham sandwich or something like that, you need real mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't think it's disgusting, but yeah. So I actually looked this up because I was like, well, okay, I, I want the official answer of what the difference is. And apparently the difference is, is that Miracle Whip has the same basic ingredients as mayonnaise, but they, but it's way less like oil and fat. And then they replace that with just water, basically. And I'm like, yeah, you can tell it's not as yeah. creamy. Yeah. Because that's that's what people don't understand is that I the purpose of mayonnaise is to because oil and water don't mix and you use mayonnaise oh. with the high high oil content to keep your bread from getting soggy from the fresh ingredients. 
That's oh. literally the purpose of the spread. You know how this is. I'm I'm very serious about these things. That's what it's okay. for. You, you have to know the answer for when you quiz somebody on it. Yeah. Ooh, that's right. Maybe maybe we can put a mayonnaise miracle whip question in there somehow. Yeah. Uh so to answer your question, Brian, it's because it's just watered down and then they try to replace it with paprika or something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little more tangy. Yeah. I don't know. The only other answer I thought of was racist, so yeah, I feel like we, I feel like we've had enough of that in this episode. Uh, Mary Lynn Willimowski writes, "Dear Alan, Dave, oh, have you ever been river floating with friends? Uh, Dave, sounds like you guys are going river floating. That sounds fun. Oh, I mean, I've floated in a river, well, more of a creek with friends, but not like like I, I think what she means is like you're in a raft and you're you have beers and got like a hundred people just floating down a big river never done that see people don't do that down here because down here we have the duck river and the duck river is one of those where if you go in it you come out without hair oh yeah yeah so you don't you don't want to do that it's also it's also brown and i don't think that's what water is supposed to be a lot of rivers are but yeah if it's the wrong shade of brown then you might be in trouble no it brown <laughs> any shade like like the water we have a dam because you know yeah. the tva and all that bullshit the water flowing off the dam is brown it's not reflecting the riverbed it's brown so you don't want to you don't want to go uh and sure. finally this evening uh d3 writes dear alan and dad what is the best type of nuts Oh, Ooh. this is this is one of your kids. Don't say these nuts. Don't say these nuts. Don't say these nuts. Uh, <laughs> Been scientifically proven. Yes. Double blind study. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's Dean, everyone chat saying D's. <laughs> it's it's just it's it's just how it has to be, Dave. You know. Yeah. I like he, walnuts. He did this to himself. Yeah, got him. Uh, oh, you like walnuts? Yeah, yeah, they're what? fun. I just like just what's just the regular nut in like a Mister Peanut container, like cashews or something. Oh, cashews are good. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that's. Soft. I think. I think that's what I like because I don't. I don't eat peanuts. I eat peanuts when they're surrounded in peanut butter and chocolate and yeah, yeah. thin candy coating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like if I get trail mix, I'm not eating the peanuts, dude. You know, just filler. Yeah, exactly. They're just trying to fill you up. They're just trying to help you live a long and happy life, and that's not what I'm here for. No, see, I like I like walnuts because it's it's a kind of an activity. You know, like they're reasonable enough that you can get them open with a any any kind of tool, mm -hmm. and then you get to pick out little pieces. Oh, have you ever smashed one on your head and open it? I know I've tried. I don't know if I've accomplished it. Like, like as soon as you said that, I have I have like a childhood memory of Yeah. Man, we're we're getting all sorts of ideas for our community streams. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, before we take our next break, we are only now $70 away from funding oh, no. the Taco Bell tier list. $70. If we raise $70 tonight, the next Monday, 
God be praised. We're doing the Taco Bell tier list. Yeah. So just get ready. Uh, inshallah. All right, guys, we're going to be back with Collins Alone of the Libertarian Institute right after this commercial break. Don't go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Our guest this evening is another, another one of the hosts of Conflicts of Interest, along with Will Porter and Connor Freeman, uh, one of the best foreign policy podcasts out there, as well as a news editor over at the Libertarian Institute, which, by the way, the fundraiser's still going on. Got once, once you put in your Sears card, you type in 999-999-99, just see what happens. You don't know. Just see what happens. Guys, it's Kyle Anzalone. Kyle! Welcome back to the show, buddy. Alan, thank you so much for having me back on. It, this is always the, the best time I have getting interviewed. I don't know if I always make the most sense on your show, but uh, certainly I have a lot of fun talking to you. Well, I'm glad that you have a lot of fun because, Kyle, most people that come on the show have to go into hiding and delete their social medias after their appearance. So I, you've, you've made multiple appearances, so you're in you're in esteemed esteemed crowd at this point. I mean, I'm just that based uh, is really what it is that I'm willing to keep coming back. Yes, willing, willing. Uh, Kyle, I wanted to highlight a few of the articles that you've written recently. A lot of stuff to do with Russia and Ukraine, which, by the way, just as as a layman, the Russia-Ukraine thing is is more than just confusing. I think it's deliberately confusing. Because it's like, well, where where do I get the information from, right? It's just like anything these days. Where do I get information from? What's actually going on over there? Who's winning? Who's losing? All this counteroffensive BS, and 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 everyone's got a different take every every five minutes. Um, but I, I want to start with an article you wrote. It's actually back on August 11th, where you said delays push F-16 transfer to Ukraine until next summer. Uh, talking about uh, F-16 fighter jets being sent to Ukraine from the war, but due to Ukraine uh, delays being pushed to next summer. So we're going to start there. Are you trying to say that they're expecting this war to still be going on next summer? Oh, oh yeah. That, I mean, but that's been clear from well before this and the discord leads, they have, uh, it came out that they have no plans to end the war this year. And so, you, you know, I guess that we could talk about that real quick, too, just in tie with the first thing that you mentioned there. It's so hard to know what's going on in Ukraine. And this is true for myself and the rest of the staff at the Libertarian Institute and Antiwar.com. It's really hard to figure out what's going on. Almost all the information coming out is propaganda one way or another, uh, certainly from any official sources. The Russians, you know, don't disclose like casualty figures whatsoever. You have no idea. Uh, what their number of dead, dead are. And, and the Ukrainians, they say things, but they're all lies. And so it, it's very hard to, to figure things out. And even sources who are good at one point during the war are good on one particular angle of the war. 
uh, may not have as much knowledge or expertise or their source may not have as much knowledge or expertise on different areas of the war. And so, uh, you know, people who are really good at predicting the invasion uh, of Russia into Ukraine when a lot of other people are saying it wasn't happening, uh, you know, just because they were good on that doesn't mean they're necessarily uh, the most accurate analyst of what's happening on the ground in Ukraine uh, day to day and why that's happening. So it's it's been a, a real struggle, even though so much of the war has been uh, essentially broadcast on Twitter. I mean, if you want to just like go on Twitter and start scrolling through, you could see hundreds of videos of, you know, drone footage blowing human beings to bits just day after day, body parts, you know, flying to pieces as these drones uh, continue to drop like loitering munitions or, uh, you know, just carry out strikes on armored vehicles and things like that. And so with all the, the coverage and all the, you know, actual footage of the death happening, you would think you would maybe have a better idea. But I, I mean, the, the front is sits under miles long. It all looks the same. Uh, the people generally look the same. And uh, you know, who knows what's footage from a year ago and what's current footage. And uh, so much of it is hard to decipher. And so, uh, you know, everybody just be skeptical of everything is the best, uh, you know, bet. And sure. if something doesn't sound right, it probably isn't. Uh, you yeah. know, sometimes crazy things do happen. But a lot of times when something sounds really crazy and off, it's because somebody's not telling you the full truth. Well, okay, you heard here first, folks. Kyle says all white people look the same. But if we're gonna if we're gonna bring this back around to these F sixteens, the other thing that popped into my head was it's like, okay, they want to send fighter jets over to Ukraine. And and by the way, I don't know how to fly an F sixteen. I I imagine it's not something that you can just do with a fifteen minutes in an instruction manual. And and I'm reminded of all oh, well, remember the Bradleys and 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 remember the Leopards and all and all the other armor, all the ground vehicles that have been sent over. And and I had the same thought then. I was like, well, wait a minute. These are not these are not autonomous units. These have to have crews to pilot these vehicles. And then the very next thing we see is all of this footage of just miles and miles of blown out <laughs> vehicles on the side of the road. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm totally not surprised by that, right? I'm sure you guys aren't surprised either. How is this going to be any different? So I don't think it will be. And, you know, there's a little bit of insight, I think, in the Washington Post article. Uh, they talked to a couple of Ukrainian officials, but they basically uh, said, like, the consensus among NATO is that Washington and other members of the coalition that plan to provide the F-16s to Ukraine uh, don't want the F-16s to really be used in the war against Russia. They want them to be a part of Ukraine's long-term defenses. So they want the Ukrainians to be sitting in Ukraine, but not while there's a kinetic war going on. And so the Ukrainians are saying that Washington is dragging it out. And Alan, I, I think even... It, you know, the current date they're looking at, which is next summer, you know, that may be too optimistic. And uh, there's a couple of reasons why. The first is they only selected six pilots to undergo training. The first four months of training are English training. And then the next six months at a minimum of training is combat training. And so that's if all the pilots are extremely proficient in the combat training, just kind of naturally uh, will they move through that process? And then you also have the issue here is I'm not sure kind of how many pilots you need to really operate F-16s on missions. Like, can you just have one pilot and, and really successfully 
uh, one or two pilots and really successfully operate a mission? Or do you essentially need all six pilots to make it through the training? Uh, you need, you know, a couple support planes or, or something like that to, you know, worry about different Russian threats like air defenses and helicopters and ground threats. And, you know, the warfare is very complicated. There's a lot going on. And so it may be that you need multiple apps, it seems, and they're only training SIDS pilots. And it seems likely to me that you're going to have these 10 young Ukrainian men in the UK for 10 months. Maybe one or two of them does something to get themselves in a little bit of trouble. Maybe somebody drops out of training for a health reason. You know, something comes up, they get sick. Um, you know, somebody's family dies back in Ukraine and they have a mental health issue and, uh, you know, that they, they have to drop out of the training. And, and so it could very quickly dwindle down to four, three, maybe pilots that actually make it through the training. And at that point, can you even really operate the F-16s on, on missions successfully, you know, with any with any chance of success. I'm not talking about can you just put people in the plane and fly them. I'm sure that is the case. I'm just asking, like, you know, how much complicated, you know, machinery do you need all doing the same thing to really carry out a successful mission? And so uh, I, I don't really think they want to use these F-16s in this war. And part of that reason is uh, because the Russians say they view the F-16s as a nuclear threat because they could carry nuclear weapons. And so putting them in Ukraine in the middle of the war uh, would probably result in a major Russian escalation. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's I think that's another area that's sort of gray for a lot of people. They don't really understand. Of course, you know, obviously Russia is is a a, a large country and has a very powerful military, significantly larger and more powerful than that of Ukraine. And on the other side, you have Ukraine that is receiving funds, munitions, uh, drones, all, all sorts of things from the, the rest of the Western world. Um, but you keep on talking about, even you yourself, and I'm, and I'm not picking on you, but even you yourself were talking about that, oh, well, they're, they're, you know, oh, Washington's dragging out this war. Because, of course, the war is not being determined by Russia and Ukraine. It's being determined by, by other influences. And that's, and that's a whole other ball of wax right there. But I, but I think where people are confused is is that well if this what's taking so long like if if the war is going to last till next summer or or maybe it doesn't but if it's going to last to then or after why is it lasting that long um, you know you you'd already touched on you know we live in the social media era and the era of you know the the, the smartphone and so anyone can go on Twitter and 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 look up footage right now and yet even though you have all that you also don't really know the situation on the ground. And so you you have pro-Ukrainian people saying, oh, Russia's committing atrocities. They're just executing people left and right and just and attacking civilians. And you have pro-Russia people saying essentially the opposite. Uh, and, and I don't know if there's any way for us to really know the difference. But I guess my question is, is that how, why is it, what is Russia doing, what is Ukraine doing that's making this war, the way it's being engaged, to last this long as opposed to you think of like the Hollywood answer of, Oh, well, Russia's huge. Just boom, boom, boom. Ukraine's wiped off the face of the earth. What, what, how is this war being fought? So, you, you know, I've been talking about this since the very beginning of the war and it sounds like a slogan or like a kind of a phrase and not something that's meant to be serious. But I, I said that the Washington's policy is to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian with the goal of weakening Russia 
so China has a less powerful ally. That's that's what the U.S. is doing in Ukraine. And so currently, talks are stalemated. Russia wants to take a significant portion of Ukraine. Uh, they say they want to annex the four regions uh, that they've conquered and, you know, recognition that Crimea uh, is a part of Russia. And so, you know, these are pretty ambitious territorial goals. At the same time, Russia does control a lot of that territory. And I, I think if we look at how the war is probably going to play out over the next year, if it just goes on on the ground, uh, Russia's slow uh, kind of uh, military tactics right now of wearing down the Ukrainian counteroffensive and then starting to try to reclaim a little bit of, or take a little bit more territory is, um, you know, would, would probably come to fruition just, you know, tens of thousands, if not 100,000 or more, uh, you know, human being lives lost later. And so, uh, you, you know, I think that that Russia's kind of vision for how this war ends uh, at this point is probably the most realistic to how the war actually ends. As far as what Ukraine is saying, they're saying that they want uh, to retake Ukraine's 1991 borders. And so that includes the Crimean Peninsula and the Donbass. Uh, Crimea has been held by Russia since 2014. It will never go back. Uh, to be in a part of Ukraine. Russia says it will be treated as the rest of Russia, which uh, more or less means that they would be willing to use nuclear weapons or, you, you know, a significant portion of their military. I don't think they would immediately go to nudes, uh, but they would be willing to escalate to that point to defend the Crimean Peninsula. And so, uh, you know, that's just a, a, an important thing to recognize. And so, the Ukrainian goals are are kind of not work, uh, you know, not realistic. What what their uh, aims are to end this war, and then Washington's policy has basically been uh, that we will support publicly. Their policy is we will support Kiev uh, in whatever goals they have for as long as it takes. Ukraine should reclaim all of their territory, and in fact, uh, early in the war in March of in April, so the first two or three months of the war. Uh, there was a deal on the table that was all worked by worked out uh, by the Israelis, by the Turks, and by the UN that would have the war end uh, with Russia returning to the you know pre-February the pre-invasion lines, uh, but recognition of that other territory, and then I I guess annexation of the Donbass Donbass region. There are some details uh, that still weren't clear, but needed to be worked out. But that was on the table. The Ukrainians were going to sign it. And then Boris Johnson, then the UK prime minister, went to Ukraine and taught the Ukrainians out of it. And why did he do that? It's because the West policy is to keep the Ukrainians fighting the war, but they can't really win the war because winning the war to Ukraine means retaking Crimea, and retaking Crimea means nuclear war with Russia, That and that can't happen. And so basically... The, you know, while Russia is, you know, kind of in this smaller scale grinding down uh, the Ukrainian counteroffensive and then, you know, retaking territory slowly, the Americans see the Ukrainians as just generally grinding down the Russian military. And so we've had statements from uh, American officials you know, at the highest ranks. Lloyd Austin saying that this war is to weaken Russia. Uh, Senator uh, Mitch McConnell saying that this is the best money ever spent. I recently wrote this article about a Republican operative named Stephen Moore saying that, you know, this is a great investment for fiscal conservatives. A hundred billion dollars sent to Ukraine and we've taken Russia from the world's number two military to not even the number one military in Ukraine, which I think is a, an absurd statement to make. But this is what 
the the policy is. And so when I said that they are willing to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian, that is almost a literal policy, Alan, that they are willing to uh, basically fight Russia uh, uh, to Ukraine's exhaustion because they know in the long run it will weaken Russia and they see the ultimate coming conflict with China. And because of Joe Biden and Donald Trump's idiocy and inability to uh, navigate geopolitics, they made allies of, of Russia and China. And, and so now they have feel they have to counter uh, that Asian behemoth that they created. And this is their long-term strategy. And uh, you know, we are talking about the, you know, really the the existence of Ukraine here uh, that could will forever be changed and weakened by this war. Uh, you're, you know, we're talking about 30 million or so Ukrainians in the country pre-war. I'm sure, uh, you know, there's a, a pretty significant chunk of those Ukrainians who are either ethnic Russians or Ukrainians who uh, have been more victimized by Kiev in, in the war crimes of the Ukrainian army, uh, either by the neo-Nazis or just the general war crimes, and who, you know, would side with Russia and rather live in, in uh, you know, part, part of Ukraine that is now Russian territory versus Ukrainian territory. Uh, the six million refugees plus who have fled, the hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian men who have died, and then the hundreds of thousands more who have been significantly wounded. Uh, you know, this is... I, you know, civilization, uh, you know, weakening probably beyond significant repair in, you know, the foreseeable future, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years we're talking about here uh, that, you know, mm -hmm. the Ukrainian culture will, will suffer from this war. And, and look, this is, you know, not just Vladimir Putin who, who is willing to pay this price to bring what he sees as stability to Eastern Europe. This is the price that the, the world empire, that Washington uh, it, it's, you know, allies in London and Paris and, and Berlin and Brussels. This is the, the war that they want to fight to, cre to create the world that they want. Well, on that note, uh, talk, about, talk about paying the price. Kyle, do you like hot sauce? You know, Alan, I only like hot sauce if it has my boss's face on the bottle. So if you got some hot sauce that maybe has like Scott Horton uh, somehow as endorsement or something like that, that, that might interest me, me. But uh, other than that, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you who made a hot sauce specifically for Scott Horton. It's the Tennessee hot sauce company, which you can find at tnhotsauceco.com. Look, we even have a, we even have a little thing right here. Check that out. Boom. Tennesseehotsauceco.com. If you use promo code, it's too late. All one word. It's too late. You get 10% off your entire order. Uh, Kyle, I don't know if you know this about me, but if you, if you, all these different little bottles I have that have been opened, it's because we had to taste test them live on the show. Cause what, 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 what kind of guy would I be if I didn't try out my sponsor's products? And the best way, in my opinion, to try hot sauce is to just bottoms up, just drink it right out of the bottle. I, I have had a little bit of the, the Scott Horn hot sauce and I did enjoy it. Uh, I forget where I was with Scott, but he had a bottle on him, and I uh, tried a little bit, and it, it's definitely delicious. You do get the little hint of Dr. Pepper, which, uh, you know, is hilarious because that is Scott's, uh, I think, fuel. I was going to say drink of choice, but I'm pretty sure that's just, uh, without it, he would cease to operate. So, yeah. Well, anybody who knows Scott Horton knows that when you hang out with him, not remembering where you were when you did it is a common thing. <laughs> <laughs> setting up a joke I missed that one 
Well, it's 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 I was I was making a drug joke, but it's it's fine. I, I was too high to get it, so Yeah, oh no, trust me. We everyone everyone's well aware. Uh guys, we're gonna be back with more Kyle Anzalone from the Libertarian Institute and right after this commercial break. Don't go away. It's Too Late with Alan Mosley is proudly supported by Fox & Sons Coffee. Fans of It's Too Late use code ITL and receive 18% off orders of $25 or more. Shipping's always free on orders over $37.99, so get yours today at their website, which is www.foxandsons.com. It's www.foxandsons.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are back here with our guest this evening, Kyle Anzalone. Kyle, I, uh, a few years back, I remember walking around the city of New Orleans with Scott Horton. Um, mm-hmm. We were we were looking for products. And don't don't think for a second that, that, that the heat or the humidity or, uh, you know, what, what do they do down there? Mardi Gras, whatever the hell's going on down on that street. Don't think any of that stopped. Scott from telling everyone who would listen exactly what they needed to know about Israel. Yeah, that is one of the great things about hanging out with Scott is he will uh, constantly be, you know, Scott Horton and uh, just, you know, is always willing to spit about all the foreign policy issues and break it down. And uh, look, Scott's a lot funnier when he's not in front of the microphone too. And so it it makes the, the whole conversation a lot better uh, when you know he's dropping the f bomb every other word and uh, throwing in some some of the other great jokes that he has, I don't know. I saw that debate with with Bill Crystal and it was pretty goddamn funny. Uh, all right, so the so you mentioned this guy Stephen Moore, and this this is from another one of your articles you wrote recently. Uh, American as Americans turn against arming Ukraine, Stephen Moore works to keep Republicans in line. Now, we, we sort of have, have kind of this soft repeat of the war on terror, right? Now, granted, in the war on terror, you, America was much more directly involved. But, pure, but from a financial standpoint, you have decades of war. People's, people get increasingly uh, lose their appetite for that, this, the, the money spent and the lives lost. Uh, and then there's just the inevitable conclusion. And you sort of see the writing on the wall that people are already getting tired of this Russia-Ukraine crap. And, and you're seeing the opinion polls are turning and people are less and less willing to keep on uh, paying and arming Ukraine. And yet you have this guy, Stephen Moore, who with, with, with elections right around the corner, might I add, is manage, managing to talk these Republicans into continuing to support the war despite their constituents being against it. Kyle, tell us a little bit who this guy is and how he manages to pull that off. Yeah, so he's been involved in politics for a long time. During the 1990s, he worked uh, alongside his father and at the behest of Bill Clinton uh, to help Boris Yeltsin rig the 1996 Russian election uh, so he could win you know, re-election, which... You know, Yeltsin ultimately, you know, ends up picking uh, Vladimir Putin to be his successor, and so very interesting that Stephen Moore now is is basically fighting against, uh, you you know, a, a Russia that he 
really had a significant hand in creating. But uh, currently he heads, I believe it's the Ukrainian Freedom Project. I don't have the article in front of me, but it's some, you know, just generic name like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. And he's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. He has, a, a, I think his fundraiser is up at Fundraiser or something like that. You could look it up. Uh, surprisingly, no, you know, if I, I, for every one of my friends that I've ever seen have a GoFundMe, Alan, uh, the, do- the donors are always the names of people, right? And so mm-hmm. it would be like Kyle Anselone, Will Porter, you know, people like, this is like, you know, Martin Hopswell and Sons Inc. And uh, Martin ha- Hansley and, you know, lawyer and uh, consultant firms and things like that. So you really wonder you know, where all of his money is coming from, because it's it's not, you know, individual donors as he kind of presents it to be. And so he's been lurking around Ukraine since the start of the war. Uh, he's probably done some legitimate humanitarian work. Uh, Ukrainians have talked about, you know, uh, I was in an area of Ukraine that was dangerous and he let me stay at his apartment and then moved me to another country in Europe. So I don't want to discount all of that, but what he has done with that experience and through that humanitarian work is tried to say that he is the ultimate authority on Ukraine and he has a, you know, particular knowledge and uh, perspective of what's going on. And so uh, whenever he, so whenever there's a vote coming up about the war in Ukraine in Congress, there's going to be somebody from the leadership of the Republican caucus who wants the Republican caucus to blindly back uh, whatever, you you know, spending package Biden is putting forward. And, um, you know, it's really important that that gets passed with near consensus. And so they bring this guy in to say, oh, the horror stories I've heard. And, oh, I know you've heard about corruption in Ukraine, but I know it's getting a lot better because I'm on the ground in there. I'm hanging out in cafes in Kiev every day. And this is kind of the narrative that he puts forward. And it's, I I think, really persuasive to uh, congressmen who are kind of stupid people. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're just bought off with, with kind of this cheap rhetoric. And, and let me explain a little bit why this is important, Alan, because it, it's almost kind of stupid that this needs to happen because in reality, it's Thomas Massey, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene maybe Ilhan Omar and a couple progressive squad members who are going to oppose this. But it's not like there's any kind of jeopardy that this won't get passed uh, in Congress, Biden's new request for $24 billion in aid to Ukraine. However, they do not want to have any additional oversight, no inspector generals. And so they needed to be near consensus so they, because they can't have any more moderate voices calling for an inspector general, and, and so they they need the hysteria to be very strong in Congress, no matter what the constituents think. Because as you mentioned, uh, CNN conducted a poll: fifty-five percent of Americans don't want to dump any more money into the war in Ukraine. Imagine that. There's not a strong grassroots movement to to arm Nazis. I'm I'm blown away by this news. Um, so I, that, I that is really good news. Thank you. Yeah. And you know what? 71% of Repu- Republicans leading the way against army Nazis. That's, that's definitely something that the entire country should thank Russians, uh, uh Republicans for, but leading the way and being called Nazis though. Yeah. Well, I, what can you do about that? What, what can you do? Yeah. So I, I, I 
I wanted to I wanted to kind of bring this around full circle before we run out of time uh, because I'm not going to let you be like your buddy Connor Freeman. God damn it. You're not going to come on here and talk for 51 minutes on a 60 minute show. Uh, so, Connor, if you're listening, my God, stop it. Get some help. But anyway, uh, you, you talked a little bit earlier about just the, just the, the human cost. And that's another one of those things where it's like, who, who knows? You know, you 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 have some one expert or another that's going to give their rough estimates of, of what they think that the actual human cost has been in the war so far on one side or the other. But but it's hard to say there's there's no such thing as an, an official account because it's just so much propaganda coming out from both sides, from both sides, obviously so much propaganda. It's hard to hard to really know what to think. Um, but I wanted to know if you would be willing to touch on that a little bit, just from from your coverage, from everything that you guys at the Institute and anywar.com pour over. What is your best guess of what the human cost is looking like so far in the war? Um, com- compared to maybe some 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 other wars in recent memory that people might be familiar with, so they get a get an idea of just how bad this is. Yeah, so let's go with Russia first because we know less. And on the Russia side, I, I mean, really, who knows? Uh, because a part of the a big part of this war was fought by the mercenary group, uh, the the Wagner group, and the head of that Pergozin. Uh, later launched a mini rebellion against maybe Putin or maybe just the Russian military leadership is still unclear what he was kind of trying to achieve. Uh, but he talked about tens of thousands of Russian casualties just for the Battle of Bakhmut. And even if he is a little unhinged, my guess is he wasn't inflating the number of Russian casualties. Uh, at worst, he was being accurate uh, from the Russian side as far as, you know, I, I want to see as little people die on either side as possible. So I guess when I mean worst, I just mean like the highest number of dead people because I want that number to be lower. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, he was talking tens of thousands of casualties. So my guess is that Russia has probably suffered hundreds of thousands, uh, over 100,000 casualties in this war. And it's probably, you know, tens, tens of thousands of dead, probably over 50,000 uh, would, would kind of be my guess. But it could be significantly higher. Those are kind of minimum numbers I'm, I'm looking at giving. Now, on Ukraine, I do think we know a little bit more. Uh, you, Western officials have left let numbers slip. And so we've known for eight, nine months now that uh, the the number of casualties that's, you know, injuries plus deaths for Ukraine uh, is over 100,000. We recently had reporting that the number of amputations in Ukraine is at least 20 to 50,000. So, wow. you know, people who have lost one or more limbs. And, and so that number was really striking to me. And after that, I I really lean into the idea that Ukraine has lost over a hundred thousand, lost as in dead, a hundred thousand or more, and it could be significantly more. Uh, but I feel it's we could pretty confidently say that there's been a hundred thousand dead Ukrainians at this point uh, in this war. My guess is that Ukraine is suffering uh, quite a bit more casualties. I think that's in part because uh, in the initial swing of the war, Russia was able to capture a lot of territory uh, that they they did ultimately end up giving back. 
Uh, however, I think they were able to take and then lose significant swaths of territory without uh, losing soldiers, where Ukraine, essentially every piece of ground that they've taken back has come at a pretty expensive loss. And this new counteroffensive has apparently been really bloody. Uh, the Washington Post just did an interview and a woman was saying that, look, in my village or my town, uh, you know, every day, you know, somebody gets sent to the front and then two or three days later, they're dead. Uh, that's the situation. And Politico reported that Ukraine has 150,000 troops committed along the front right now. And they're carrying out offensive operations at three different points. And I, I mean, just by military tactics, if somebody holds a defensive position behind three layers of minefields, Alan, uh, you're likely going to inflict a lot more losses on the attacking army uh, because the defensive army is entrenched and dug in. And, and part of this is because the West has been saying for the past six months that we're planning on carrying out a counteroffensive in southern Ukraine. And so Russia spent the entire time building up line after line of defense. And I mean, as far as, uh, you know, I understand it, Ukraine's captured a, a territory, a village along the line of control here and there, but really no significant gains. The Ukrainians talk about fighting for a week and measuring their success in hundreds of meters, you know, 400 meters or something like that, quarters of miles of territory they're taking at the time and at the loss of dozens of men. I mean, it, so again, I, I think for Ukraine, like kind of the minimum number is 100,000, uh, but we really won't know until after this war. And, and again, you know, the war is a little bit different now than it was in Vietnam, where uh, especially now I would guess the proximity to, you know, very uh, high functioning medical and advanced like medical trauma centers. Uh, is probably almost more prevalent than like American troops had in the Middle East and in Iraq and things like that. Uh, just, you know, I'm not sure how many uh, people the, these European nations are taking, uh, but you would imagine that there's, you know, very advanced medical facilities in all over Poland and in Warsaw and that they could be bringing these guys in. And so, you know, these 20 to 50,000 men who are, you know, amputees now, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't have survived in past wars. And so that probably brings the death toll down quite a bit. But I mean, let's face it, if you're a guy and you have your lower half blown off, life, life is, is you might as well in a lot of ways be dead. You know what I mean? Uh, life is never going to be complete again. And so how do you, how do you count that? You know what I mean? You, you've essentially yeah. killed that person. And so the reality for Ukraine is very, very cruel. And again, that whole fighting till the last Ukrainian, I, I you know, at least the last, you know, four armed Ukrainian is what we're essentially talking about here. Well, that's, I mean, or limbed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sobering news. I know you and I had talked briefly before we started the show tonight about how, you know, if, if, something like 7,000 Americans have died in the war on terror, which lasted over, you know, a couple of decades. And then you have, of course, closer to 60,000 in Vietnam, which is, which is unfathomable to think of, but that's out of a nation of 300 million people. But Ukraine, Ukraine's not a particularly populous nation. I mean, if you have a nation of 35, 40 million people, and then you lose a quarter million young adult, you know, young adult males, that that's going to leave a, 
everlasting mark on your in, on your people, on your culture, on on everything. I mean, how, you can't even measure that. Yeah, and I guess I should mention too that there's a lot of Ukrainian women who are fighting here. Uh, I know the general mobilization has only applied to men, and I'm I'm sure Ukrainian propagandists like to put their women front and center to make it look more westernized, right? Like. You you know the I'm sure the progressives in America love having Ukraine good looking blonde Ukrainian chits holding big guns fighting for their country and, and stuff like that as like their rallying cry to get behind this like it's some kind of Barbie Barbie movie uh, narrative and so this uh, kind of insanity going on but uh, you know it, it it's a lot of women too so I just I've yeah. said men the whole time and I'm well, sure it's mostly men but yeah. On that note, Kyle, where can people go to support you and check out your upcoming documentary, Hot Ukrainian Chicks with Big Guns? Uh, uh, the Libertarian Institute. And actually, we'll, we'll have Pat make that documentary. He's our documentary man. Uh, we will send him on assignment to Kiev once the war is over and, uh, you know, find out about all these hot Ukrainian chits with big guns. Um but uh, yeah, Alan, thank you so much for having me on. I'm at the Libertarian Institute, antiwar.com, on Twitter at Kyle Anslone underscore. On Facebook, and uh, could go ahead. Order. All right, guys, thank you so much, Kyle. Did you it's, lose it, me right then there? Yeah, I did, but I was I, I was just gonna do the the outro right now and then and then have you re record that and edit it in. But then you just said but then you just said, Did you lose me right there? I screwed so it now up. I right. can't, yeah, yeah, now yeah. I can't now I can't edit the thing. So okay, Kyle. No, I'm sorry. I shouldn't yell at you the way I yell at Dave. All right, uh, because you did. See, no, you should have just hung up on me there. I should have. I should have show just... that way. Yeah, I should uh, I should have done that to Connor. When Connor hit 35 minutes and one second, I should have just ended the Skype call. I, I think that's time you can just go ahead and let him know that if he wants to say goodbye to you, he has to be done talking at 34 minutes. He needs he needs to have like a short farewell message already typed up in chat so he can just hit enter. That's what he, <laughs> that's what he needs to do. All right, all right, right real, real quick, Kyle, since you're still here, uh, give everybody your social media links one more time. Uh, so Twitter is at Kyle Anslone underscore. And then after being banned for a couple of years, I'm back. Send me a friend request and I'll add you. Uh, if we don't have any mutuals, just send me a DM. And so I know you're a real person. Appreciate it. And uh, to anybody who shares my work or supports the Libertarian Institute, because right now we are doing our summer fundraiser. And uh, it's always nice to get a few dollars uh, to help us keep doing what we're doing. We put out a ton of great content there and, of course, uh, you're also funding, you know, Scott Horton writing his upcoming book on Russia. Uh, that's really, really good. I've read some early drafts of it, and it's it's going to be an extremely important work. All right. Thank you so much, Kyle. You heard it here first, folks. Don't, don't get in his face unless you're a real person. We're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this commercial break. Don't go away. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley.
Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com at TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash TV. If you're more of a listener than a watcher, get us your favorite podcast and platform of choice. Thanks to Spotify. It's too late with Alan Mosley or Alan Mosley TV. Uh, Dave, do you have a final thought? That was that was a great conversation. You know, it's, it got, was it? It got that got pretty deep. Yeah, that was yeah. That was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, can't wait till next time. Yeah, we really. I don't know why this popped in my head. We really rearranged that conversation's guts. We got so deep, but. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, what do you think about? Oh my God, we have a special guest for tonight's after party. There's an after party. Well, there has to be one because we have a special guest. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, real yeah. Quick. yeah, just in and out, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of It's Too Late, and we will see you next week. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta do, we gotta do the countdown. We gotta run and change. We gotta get the guest in here. Got a lot going on. Yeah. I feel bad for people like Kyle because they, they're they so gracious to come on the show and, and spend some of their time talking about what's going on in the world. And then we're over here just talking about rigors. Yeah, well, you got to do your homework when you come on the show. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's his fault. It's his fault. That's right. You should have known he's getting himself into Yeah.